Golf is full of strange people in strange places, and their stories are what makes Adventures in Golf. Eric Anders Lang, the documentary filmmaker, takes you on Adventures in Golf with his series on Scratch TV. We've talked to you guys about this. We've talked to you about the amazing videos they're making. Make sure you're checking them out. Follow along on at Scratch on Twitter. And later on in the podcast, we're going to brief you guys a bit on how many options you guys have when shopping with Callaway for the number one irons in the game. We just gave away a set of the epic irons that I'm actually afraid to try because of how much I love my Apex Pros. But for now, let's get to Graham McDowell. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I'm Chris Solomon, sitting down finally in person with uh, 2010 U.S. Open champion, Graham McDowell. Do you ever get tired of getting introduced with that title? No, listen, I mean, I can't. sometimes I kind of pinch myself seven years ago man i mean time has just flown but uh it's just it's one of those things that never gets old you know it's it's a special thing when you play the u.s open every year and you get announced on the tee as a 2010 champ you know it, it's a special thing the 12 months after it you know you get announced in europe as a u.s open champion it's, it's cool yeah. listen it's a special special thing and uh something that i i certainly never get tired hearing it um do you ever get tired of talking about it I find myself, I find myself not liking to say, you know, in 2010 when I was playing well or when I did this, this, and this. You know, I kind of, kind of check myself sometimes when I say that because I don't want to be. I guess I'm trying to still write my own. You know, I want to write some more stuff in my career. You don't um, like saying. I don't like. When I was playing well what, what, in the yeah, past. I find, past tense. I, I guess I find myself saying that a lot. Yeah. It's been a frustrating few years. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, but uh, it's been a frustrating few years. And I, you know, when I, like you say, refer myself in the past tense, I kind of check myself and think, whoa, whoa, you know, we we still got some work to do here. And I'm, I'm you know, as motivated right now as I've been in a long time. Um, yes, I suppose I look back to that guy who I was. I feel like I'm smarter, fitter, know a lot more stuff nowadays but you know obviously I was doing something different with a golf ball back in those days and I'm trying to kind of you know get a little bit of that back really I suppose you know I think the game's changed yeah. got a massive rate around me in, in the seven years since I won a major championship but uh, you know I think at the right golf course setup and the right time you know in the future I still you know would love to love to compete and try and win another one. So let's start first, though. I want to talk. So we're, we're recording this live. We're here in, in South Korea. Uh, you have some previous playing experience here in, in Korea yeah. on this island. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first time I was ever here in 2008, we had the uh, – it was called the Ballantines Championship uh, on the European Tour. And, uh, yeah, beat Jeev Mokasing in a playoff. Uh, it was it was the first time that Ballantines had played here. And, you know, when I won the U.S. Open in 10, I had the Ballantines logo on my sleeve. We, we developed a little relationship you know, I was a bit of a Scotch whiskey drinker in those days, and That's more. What than, I want to hear about yeah. the party. I want to hear about the party after you won the Valentine's. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you win a I bunch think, of Valentine's? I think we probably partied harder the the following year when I came back. I think I missed the cut, and uh, you know, obviously, I developed a relationship with the guys at Valentine's, and uh, we had a lot of Scotch to drink that Friday night. We ended up downtown Jeju in some karaoke bar. <laughs> 
hammered. You know, I was I was a I was a Scotch guy, yeah. you know, in those days, and much more of a bourbon drinker these days. You know, I think you know America has me now. Yeah. Um, What's your bourbon of choice now? This is. I'm like a four roses single barrel okay. guy. You know, I've got some, I've got a Blanton's and I've got a few nice bits and pieces in my collection, but I, my, my go-to is like a four roses single barrel. I love that. I you love got a good selection yeah, at Nona it's Blue. It's good. Yeah. yeah our, our, our bourbon selection is good. You know, I don't drink so much scotch anymore, but Valentine's, like I say, developed a great relationship with those guys after I won the tournament. The... Uh, that year, they gave me like a 40-year-old bottle, which I still have in my cellar, and I've, I've got a 35-year-old Valentine's in my cellar. And Yeah, I, it's weird. I, I kind of had a few of these bottles that I'd put away for a rainy day thinking, you know, when I get married, I'll open that one, or when I have my first kid, I'll open that one, and they're still sitting there unopened, you know, so it's kind of like <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I've hit a couple of milestones in my life, and, um, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm what I'm keeping them for. Now, I might have to go home and crack them open again, but, uh, yeah, I... Uh, you know, Valentine's were, were, were a great partner. And like you say, good good memories here of South Korea and Jeju. And uh, nice to be back this week, obviously, playing the PGA Tours. But it is kind of a cool tournament, this one. I was going to say, what are your initial thoughts on the CJ Cup? This is a totally brand new tournament. I yeah. think it's a, it's a very rare thing on the PGA Tour. The first ever tournament in South Korea, professional PGA yeah. Tour event in South Korea. Uh, you've had a, you've traveled a lot of the world. You've mm-hmm. seen a lot of things. European tour, PGA tour. How does this stack up? How does this this vibe feel this yeah. week for you? I think it's an interesting dynamic, really, to see the PGA tour really starting to lay down some serious roots here in Asia. You know, it's is it a bad thing for Europe that that the PGA tour are kind of starting to move in here? Um, it's certainly an interesting it's an interesting time. Um, it's an awesome opportunity, obviously, for for PGA tour members uh, to. To be on this run here where they can play Malaysia, you know, for a lot of money and, and obviously come to Korea here and play for uh, a lot, a lot of money. Huge money. Uh, and obviously guys are in the HSBC next week and, and, you know, there's rumors about a potential event in Japan, which, you know, could have a four or five week run here in Asia, you know, in the fall, which which is just amazing. You know, I mean, there's no doubt we're in this is the future of the game yep. you know we've seen it in the ladies tour it's starting to happen a little bit in the men's tour now we're starting to see chinese and koreans and japanese players come over to the states and europe and play well and and, and be recognized as you know a potential strength you know growing in the game in, in our sport you know so it's uh, great to be out here i mean the cj cup great tournament um golf course is awesome R- really cool golf course a bit soft this week i mean uh, you know they've had a lot of rain but the golf course is is really pure it's it's a great looking track a few funky holes I, mean, yeah. I saw you tweeting about 18 and you know 18 is going to be controversial yeah it's it's you know playing with tony finau this week he just whips it down the left it's a 330 fly onto the fairway there 20 downhill given so it's 310 effective but he flies it onto the fairway, and you know, if you can't, if you don't have that shot, I you're know. forced on the right hand side with like a five wood or a three wood. Yeah, I mean, the architect probably thought he'd created the masterpiece when he built that 18th at um, uh, you know, what's our golf course called Nine Bridges, and the boys are just destroying it. Yeah. You know, it's silly. There's got to be enough holes out there that you feel on tour that has that just dividing line yeah. of. 15 percent, 20 percent of the field can get mm-hmm. past this bunker, past this line, and it. It, the courses in general are favor the longer players for the most part, and then you added some of these holes, some of these tee sure. shots that just yeah, you, you like like you say, dis, dis, you know, divisive hole. Yeah. You know, the you know, I think the one when Jordan when Dustin beat Jordan in the playoff this year at uh, where was that uh, um, Northern, Glen Oaks. Northern yeah. Trust yep. Glen Oaks. I mean, you know, we all see that we saw we saw the pro tracer, you know, the two different pro tracers and whatever, and 
18 here at uh, at Nine Bridges is another one of those holes, which is just, you can call it silly, call it what you want, but um, it just, the, the dividing, you know, the, the 330 guys, you know, 320 guys versus the 280, 290 guy, you know, there's a big golf out there now. And, yeah. and I was talking to Cody Gribble, I played with him the first two rounds, and I said, you know, 10 years ago, there was five guys could do that. Now there's 30 guys, 40 right. guys, you know, it's crazy how far these guys can hit the ball. It's, um, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, <laughs> but you know, for a guy like me who, you know, distances, I was long in college and it's weird, you know, the curve just took, took over, you know, I went technology for some reason I stopped, I didn't get the gains. Um, you know, whatever way I compress the ball, whatever way I move at the ball, I just became shorter and shorter and shorter having been quite long, you know, it's weird. It, it's weird for a guy like at your age, you're 38, right? Yep, that you kind of, these, a lot of these young players that grew up playing with these huge titanium drivers grew up in this era of the pro B one golf ball and all the other similar brand golf balls in this era grew up playing a completely different style where they mm-hmm. don't fear big miss hits. They sure. develop their golf swings to pound the ball. You grew up in Northern Ireland learning how to fit the ball in links fairways. Mm-hmm. And you know, your, your ball flight still today is, is lower than mm-hmm. I would think the average tour sure. pro is. So, but yeah. do you feel like in the last, you know, five, six, seven, or what, what that time was that time frame where you feel like you've gotten further and further behind in that distance? Do you feel like it's still exponentially curving that way yeah i mean i was surprised when i pulled up your stat page where you ranked on in in driving distance yeah yeah i think you i was drive not, it straight but not yeah, far i was ninth, ninth in accuracy this year in the pga tour but i had a bad driving year you know yeah. because i i felt like i my ball speed dropped off dramatically this year i think that's one part technique one part i think i've changed my move a little bit i'm hitting up on it a bit more and i'm still using quite a lofted driver um so it's one part equipment one part technique and, you know, one part, you know, need to get a little stronger, a little fitter as well, you know. So uh, I've noticed that this year, just out of the blue, my, my ball speed's just really just dumped. And it's been frustrating, you know. And uh, But, you know, I look around and the game is changing, you know. There are guys out there who legitimately, all they want to do is hit it as far as they humanly can. And then they'll take care of business from there. It doesn't matter whether they're in the rough or the fairway. They don't care. Yeah. They want to hit it as far as they can. And these are some of the best players in the world. This is how they think. They don't care. They just want to smash it and then go get it up and down. And, you know, that's the modern game. Kids are growing up now with track, man. They're, they're learning that they got to launch the ball at 12, 13 degrees with 23, 2400 RPMs. Ball speed as fast as they possibly can. Yeah, it wasn't how I grew up. Yeah. You know, you know, I you like you say, I was I grew up in a wind, I grew up, you know, I remember the first hot driver I got was probably the the Ruger Titanic great big birth of the first one that came out. You know, that was exciting. I remember the first day I tested the Pro V one, I was like, Whoa. Um, you know, it's uh, we grew up in a different era. But these guys it's great. The the game's amazing. It's changing and it's I, I believe it's changing extremely rapidly. Yeah. No, it's it's just one and it's interesting kind of to talk to Rory about this too because he's on the other end of the spectrum and I and he he's adamant that driving it long is a skill and mm-hmm. it is yep. it is but yeah. so much of the way courses now set up are just on the PGA tour especially are so beneficial to the long guys For and sure. you look at and I know it's not it's not fair to just compare everything I, I played a lot of golf in 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 Ireland and Scotland this year and, and England and just got such an appreciation for that style where I'm not trying to get up there and murder at every hole. I'm thinking I'm using my brain off the tee. Mm-hmm. And I just went to Burkdale this year and watched you guys play that course. And 
and just had such appreciation for that style of play and how for much sure. skill goes into it. And some of the long hitters still came to rose to the top there, but yeah. it's not just a driving contest. For sure. I mean, certain golf course setups, you know, guys can't smash it out of trouble. You know, you know, trouble is always in play. And I mean, yeah. you know, obviously that's my favorite type of track where, you know, where or a Rory or a Tony Fina or a Gary Woodland or, you know, Dustin can't blow it over trouble. Like a St. Andrews, you know, you get St. Andrews, on a medium win day, the guys can smash it past trouble. You know, obviously, uh, Tiger did it in 2000, kept it all the traps and, and won by a lot. Um, you know, like you say, I think hitting the ball far is a skill. Yeah. Um, you know, I look at Rory, for example. I mean, Rory's fitness regime has been talked a lot. You know, we, we talk about how, how athletic and how strong he is now. Um, and he pounds it. But like ten years ago, Rory was you know he was five eight, not particularly not particularly good shape, and he could pound it. You could say you know, he was he, chubby. You, yeah, he, you know he was carrying a little puppy fat. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you know I would have said I was a better athlete than him and ten years ago, and kid could smash it forty by me then. Yeah. So he always had that athletic ability and that unique talent to be able to create speed. You know, it's like cracking a whip. You know, some guys just know how yeah. to crack the whip that little bit faster than other guys. And I mean, it's just not something that I can learn in the gym. It's not something no. that I can teach myself to do very well. You know, I might be able to pick four or five miles per hour up. But I mean, to, to get up, you know, I'll never be a, an uber long guy. And it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it does. I mean, it's been a fight for about three or four years. I've had long drive guys that I've spoken to. I've spoken to loads of people. I mean, it, you know, it's it's frustrating um, but I, you know, I got to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I'm never going to be a long guy and you know, the rest of these kids around me, I'm kind of looking at them, you know, like there's some kind of like superhuman, you know, golfers because they just play the game differently from how I could play it. Now, you know, it's, and it's hard to keep your head screwed on sometimes, yeah. especially when you get a golf course like this week. I mean, today, today was different, you know, this Friday, the second round of the CJ Cup, it was windy, and that was kind of, you know, that leveled the playing field a yes. little bit more for me. I was able to scramble around and sort of have myself back into the tournament a little bit and throw a few boogies at it coming in. But um, yesterday, flat calm, wide-ass wide fairway, soft. I walked off the golf course pretty frustrated having played 18 holes with Tony Fina, thinking, <laughs> man, this kid's just playing a different game for me. Right. It's a different sport. But I think it's also like why I have such an appreciation for guys that with your style of game that have had as much success as you've had and mm -hmm. that you've the, I, I go to just a normal round of golf that I would play if I'm playing with a guy who's dead steady down the middle of the fairway and is a skilled player I fear him more than I do a skilled player that is very long because I For just sure. feel like the long guy is going to make so many more mistakes you know and but the guys that are steady Eddie and just know where their ball's going it there is but just the thing is at at this level there's not that much For benefit sure. in you it know, so. you, get, you get that public opinion of you know hey you know you know McDowell's an overachiever you know it's because you know he he's not the Rory McIlroy ball striker you know like a Jim Furyk I mean people look like him, look at him and think you know, look, look what he gets out of his game. Look, you know, look at that guy's career earnings. You know, I mean, yeah. he, he's, he, he gets it wrong. It's a phone call I'm probably going to have to make here because I feel like, you know, mentally I got to talk to a guy like that and say, you know, how do I keep doing what I'm doing? Yeah. How do I not get distracted? You know, I feel like I've saw Jim sitting around locker rooms a little bit the last year looking a little despondent when, when we're on one of those golf courses where these guys are just blowing at 50 bias and we can't compete. Yeah. You know, there are certain weeks where you just have to sit there on a Friday night, maybe you've missed the cut, and you go, I couldn't compete this week unless I had my absolute A-plus game from inside yeah. of 150 yards. You know, if I couldn't wedge it and hole everything, these guys were three, four shots ahead of me. You know, it's like Augusta. 
I feel like when I stand on the first tee at Augusta, I'm four shots behind Bubba. Probably, you know, probably two shots to three shots per round behind Bubba Watson before mm-hmm. I start. So I've got to do something extraordinarily well right. around the greens to try and compete, mm-hmm. you know. So there just are weeks like that, and it's frustrating. And like I say, I kind of feel like mentally I'm at that point where I'm going to have to have a few conversations with guys so that I can get my head screwed back on again and get back to doing what I do well and, and you know, realizing that there are weeks that I can compete and there are weeks that, you know, unless I have something special going on around the greens that I'm not going to be able to compete. Is there Has your schedule changed at all based on this kind of realization or do you walk off golf courses and say, you know what, I think I'm not coming back to this tournament, like I can't compete here? Yeah, you know, there are. I mean, obviously weather can, can play against sure. you sometimes. A golf course that sets up well for you, you know, you get a downpour. You know, you get, you know, you, you get a golfer, you know, you call them mudlarks, you know, who, who like wet, you know, soft, wet fairways always think, you know, Rory's a mudlark, you know, it's kind of, you know, the muddier, the wetter, the better. They yeah. can just fly it through, through the air and, uh, you know, you, they play the game that way. But no, yeah, of course, there, there are golf courses on my schedule that I get excited about, you know, Bay Hills, Hilton Heads, San Antonio's, you know, that type of a track, U.S. Opens, British Opens, you know, where it's firm and sure. fast. Um, you know, there are thankfully plenty of golf courses where I feel like I can still compete, but there are weeks where a, I stay away from like the Phoenix open. I haven't been there since 06. I think when JB Holmes won there back to back, I said, this ain't for me, this place, um, you know, stuff, stuff like that. Yep. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I say, um, you know, if you're wedging it and putting it well, you, you can still compete. Yep. A quick break to talk to you guys about Callaway Golf, the number one irons in golf. Look, if you're looking to get a new set of irons, Callaway's got the best-selling Steelhead XR, the Apex, the Apex Pro, the Epic, Big Bertha OS, and more. There's something in the Callaway lineup, honestly, for every player ability. We just gave away a set of Epic irons, and actually, we want we want to hear from you guys about things you want us to give away. The Callaway folks have been amazing in the support of us and the support of our followers, and They want to continue to give away stuff to you guys. So do you guys want more drivers? Do you guys want more irons? Send us your ideas. We're happy to kind of give some of this stuff away to you guys. But uh, also go to CallawayGolf.com slash irons to find the right irons for your game from Callaway, the number one irons in golf. I promise you won't regret it. Now let's get back to Graham McDowell. So you mentioned earlier just kind of talking about trying not to talk about your best golf in the past tense but in recent years your life has changed a whole heck of a lot as as well since winning you've got married you now have a kid two kids sorry yeah i think your wikipedia page needs updated (laughs) um uh two kids how does you know and i've heard jack nicholas when tiger's coming up i heard many comments he said to say we'll see how tiger handles once Mm -hmm. golf is not the biggest priority in his life how what kind of effect has you know, having a wife and kids taken on your golf career, your priority, and just For your sure. life in general. Definitely. You know, I mean, I did a Q&A with Tom Watson a couple of years ago, and he talked about the same thing as Jack. You know, he said, talking about Tiger being, you know, great for – great for quite a long time he was talking about who the best ever was and talked about jack for you know because he was great for a long time palmer was was great for a short period of time relatively speaking to jack um you know and how these guys deal with getting married how they deal with you know obviously health and and how they deal with motivation you know those being the three major hurdles that, that that a professional athlete has to overcome and you know and obviously the family thing for me the last few years it's been amazing wouldn't change it for the world sure um, 
has it changed my outlook? Yeah, you know, it's changed my priorities. I compare myself to, to who I was in 2007, 2008, preparing myself, you know, to win my first major championship. You know, I was a very selfish person. I was very, you know, driven. You know, all I did was play golf and, you know, my week's off. What I do, just come home, hang on my boys, go get drunk. I just wake up the next day and I just be working, you know, worried about, you know, hitting balls and, and getting ready to go out to the next tournament. You know, nowadays life's pretty different. You know, I go home, I have my family, I have my business interests. Um, it's amazing how you, you can fill up the time in a day oh my God. and not spend that time in the golf course that I used to spend. You know, do I, do I live a healthier life now, nowadays? I probably do. I look back and think, you know, I, you know, I used to play golf, come home, you know, Sunday night was, you know, drink plenty. Um, you know, I, I lived like a 25, late 20s, you know, yeah. just just a guy living the dream, you know, making a lot of money on the golf course, enjoying myself my weeks off, you know, hanging with my boys and, and having a very singular selfish focus, which was just, you know, jumping back on a plane and going out to play golf. So, you know, that changes. You know, I always wanted to have a family. I always, you know, knew I'd meet the, the person, and, and, and I did. And, you know, I'm loving my family. I'm loving that life. But, uh, you know, your week's off. Like I say, I managed to find ways to fulfill my day, you know, phone calls about different businesses that are going on, just hanging with my kids in the morning, you know, just wanting to be there. You know, I listen to, you know, I read a lot of books, listen to a lot of motivational speeches. People talk about being present when you're at home, you know. You're away a lot, so when you're at home, you know, with your kids be present be there so, you know what what does that mean um phone in your pocket and yeah just, yeah exactly and, yeah, just just, just trying to just yeah. plug in um you know people are always like you know what are your hobbies what do you do when you're not playing golf well you know this is such a consuming sport you know my week's off you know when you're getting ready to go play again the following week you're typically consumed by getting ready for that following week you know it's it's you know it's it's an all-consuming game it's probably only two three weeks a year where i'll just say hey you know golf clubs away done not interested you know i just want to hang there's no doubt my priorities have changed mentally um you know i love something else more than i love golf um you know business interests have definitely taken time up you know people get on twitter and give me shit for you know you know restaurants and doing other stuff and you know should be you know getting back on the golf course and you know people have their opinions um but, I, I, I was at, I, and whenever I ask people that question about family, it, it always sounds like you're asking, why don't you practice more golf? That's definitely not the yeah. point. It's, it's because it's you, everybody at the end of the day has a time when the golf clubs get put up, like, and, and you do other things. Some, some of the younger guys, like you said, when you were younger, you're out partying, you're drinking. Some of these guys on tour, they're just, they go to their hotel rooms and watch movies. Like yeah. they, they, there is a time in the day when your clubs are, are gone and you For have sure. eight hours to fill and you whatnot. Know, you know, do I have pangs of jealousy when I, when I think of the sort of West Palm beach uh, brotherhood that the boys have down there now where, you know, they're in Joey D's gym every day and you know, they seem very singular in, in their mindset and their focus and they're, and they're, you know, are they out practicing, out working me, out challenging me? You know, it's, it's a different world. My, my world has evolved. I'm, you know, I'm doing the things off the golf course that I, that I always wanted to do. You know, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have business interests. I want to have something that I can move into the next chapter of my career when, when that is, you know, these guys are so singular in their focus and driven and they're being incredibly successful. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a different mindset. Um, is it possible to create that? as a married man with kids yes absolutely i mean you know it requires a huge amount of dedication motivation time management 
drive, you know, it, it really, it, it's hard. It's, 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 you know, I guess I'm still in, in the mode of trying to re-sort, re-kind of prioritize my life to create the space to do, to keep achieving on the golf course, because I do want to. I mean, I guess I've gone through the last few years. I mean, I've had a couple of deep, dark moments where I've kind of been like, whoa, you know, is this it for me? Am I finished? Is, you know, I'm, is my career just going to just fall off this, you know, just slowly, gently fade away and, you know, never make another cut or never, you know, compete again on a Sunday afternoon. But, you know, do I want this? Do I want to grind? Do I want to keep doing it? And, and you know, the que- the answer to the question was always, yes, I do. I do want to keep grinding. So, you know, I sit down with a guy like Lou Holtz five, six weeks ago and I have a conversation with him. I'm like, hey, you know what? How do, how do I handle this? What do I do? Have you ever spoken to players? You know, you know, he gives me a lot of great thoughts, a lot of good things to think about, you know, how to make the sacrifices. And, and, and typically that's, that's the word, you know, that's, that, that's what it boils down to is a sacrifice. And it's just a different type of sacrifice now. Ten years ago, it wasn't a big sacrifice, you know, being away from home, being away from my parents, my family, my brothers. You know, I was chasing my dream, sure. you know, so sacrifice was easy. But nowadays... Like, for example, you know, I've been away from, from my kids for four weeks. You know, my little boy's just over one year old, and I pick up the phone, and I feel like he's changing every day, you know. So it's, you know, the sacrifices are, are, are so different now. Um, but at the same time, if I want to achieve, you know, in my career at golf, if I want to be there on a Sunday afternoon at a major championship, which I do, you know, before it's all said and done, I, I really feel like, you know, I, I've kind of hit the bottom the last few years, and I'm bouncing back up. It's tough to be patient with it right now because I'm lacking a little bit of confidence. I mean, confidence is low. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, having breakfast with these with these kids that, you know, I feel like are just at a different level from me. Um, sometimes it's harder, you know, it's hard to remind yourself that you wouldn't swap careers with, with too many of them. Yep. Um, but, you know, obviously that experience is important and I still feel like I've got it. It's just a case of, uh, like I say, just I'm in that process and I feel like I'm just about there now where, where I've reprioritized my life and I'm, I'm doing the things that I need to do to get myself back to where I want to be one of the top 10 players in the world again. And can I do it? Well, we'll see. You know, I don't have the game some of these guys have, but, you know, driving at 350 isn't everything, you know, but it's a lot, but it isn't everything, thank God, because <laughs> you still have to chip and putt. You still have to get the job done. And uh, I still I still believe I can compete. Yeah. It's not how close you get the ball to the hole after one shot. It's this how close true. after two shots. On par fours and fives, of course. But, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, looking at your career, it's not like it's been a steady, a steady mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've had major dips in play, mm-hmm. even as recent as, as what, say, 2014, mm-hmm. I would say, and you, there, you turned around and won in 2015. So yeah. going through this kind of decline in play, is it easier to, to draw back on that to say, look, I've in my, you know, mid thirties, I've had a dip in play and recovered enough, mm-hmm. good enough to win on the PGA tour. Is that, do you draw anything from that and say, this isn't like a downward spiral that you yeah. can't recover from? It's weird. You know, I mean, I, no doubt. I think when you, when you look at it from 30,000 feet, you look at the best players in the world and it just looks like this beautiful upward curve to, mm-hmm. to, to victory, to the goals. But you know, when you zoom in and you know, everyone has that, that's that's, 
ticker tape kind of up and down that kind of um you know that heartbeat if you like where you know the peaks and troughs are are you know when you when you zoom in every day there's peaks and troughs when you zoom out you know there a year seasons have peaks and troughs you know decades have peaks and troughs and and there's no doubt you know the troughs feel deeper to me now but uh they're just different i suppose you know and uh like you say that one at the end of 15 was nice that kind of pulled me out of something um you know I feel like the fifth middle of 15 was kind of a turning point and when I when I answered those questions that we talked about earlier about do I want to keep doing this yes I do okay well what are we going to do about it let's start doing some stuff you know and I focused on being better prepared on a Thursday morning um you know that was that was focus number one and you know I feel like I've played much better this season sort of end of 16 into 17 yeah, I made a lot of cuts this year I mean the consistency was back did a lot of good things talked about you know ninth and driving accuracy got the ball back in play fourth and putting yeah you started started off. started putting good started putting like me again you know so there was a lot of good stuff there so you know really made a step in the right direction this year even though people look at you know 150th in the world rankings they go you know he's on his way out that's not the case. I made some big steps in the right direction this year, you know, and there's just some other stuff I need to get right. My week's off. I need to get a little bit better, focusing a little bit more on my body and my fitness and, uh, you know, really getting back to doing, you know, like I say, just the mental stuff now is key. Yeah. The confidence, realizing that I, I've got to get the job done a bit differently from some of these kids and, and obviously having that singular focus to um, get myself back to where I want to be. Right. I mean, Pat Perez was ranked 330th in the world this time a year ago, yeah. and now he's 20th in the world. Like, it can happen in in, in your age, in your age bracket. For and sure. It can for sure happen. I actually <laughs> had that conversation with his caddy on the range this morning. You know, I said to him, I played nine holes with Pat at the Vegas tournament last year, and he was on a medical, coming back, trying to get his card. You know, seemed dejected, seemed unfocused, played very averagely for nine holes. A year later, you know, he's won twice. He's back up, you know. Yeah. No, I'm not sure he's, I'm sure he's top 50 in the world. Um, you know, fortunes can change in a heartbeat. And, uh, you know, staying patient and believing in that, working hard and just waiting for your turn, you know. Is it going to come? It might. You know, you just got to keep, keep trying, keep believing. Yeah. I do want to talk some about your upbringing, too, in Northern Ireland. Um, and I've heard just how you've, you've – you, your upbringing has pr- helped promote your career and your lifestyle and that Great Britain and Ireland, the game is just inherently much more accessible. And I've mm-hmm. kind of gotten to see, I've seen the light. I've gone over there and seen yeah. and talked to members and heard what they pay. And I've heard you talk about how like, if you didn't, if golf wasn't extremely affordable for you as yeah. a child, it, you wouldn't be where you are today. Sure. Do you look at like the golf model in the U.S. just wondering how it so got, it got so screwed up? For sure. There's no <laughs> doubt. I mean, you know, when I, when I came to college here in the States, uh, you know, I was subjected to a golf model that I wasn't familiar with, you know, the country club life. I mean, I, you know, I, I still kind of wonder, is that the life I want for my kids, you know, because that wasn't the life that I had. And I feel like I learned a lot from not having very much I suppose you know I, I say that I mean I had a happy upbringing sure. uh, the town I grew up in wasn't a town surrounded by a huge amount of wealth you know wealth was something that I wasn't really super aware of until I was probably in my late teens um, you know you know the game of golf my dad took it up in his late 30s 
Um, he was a nine to five working guy. You know, my mom had tons of credit card bill. You know, when I turned pro, greatest thing I could do was buy her a house and pay off her credit card bills because she, you know, they, they did whatever they could to give their kids as much as they possibly could. So we were very, very, very lucky on a lot of levels. But, um, you know, the game of golf was thankfully accessible. And, you know, the town I grew up in, you know, you either surfed or you golfed or you got a crappy job and ended up, you know, in the bar on the weekends. You know, it's, uh, you know, people, you know, oh, that, that sounds horrible. I mean, people, they're successful people in that part of the sure. world. But, you know, for me as a young person, I think in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, young people... If you wanted to be successful, you had to escape the north coast of Ireland because there's really not a huge amount of opportunity. I right. guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there's, there's not big not financial There's industry. not crappy jobs, a horrible expression. Um, I, I meant, can see the headlines in your head. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's you know, not what crappy you Crappy job. You know, there's not a lot of opportunity for kids. Sure. Uh, you know, in their late teens, early 20s with, you know, university degrees that, we, you know, have, are becoming worth less and less i feel like these days you know there's so much more you, you know i escaped the net mm-hmm. um uh, and you know i came to college in the states which was a massive turning point in my life you know i learned a lot just about being confident being a winner and having a winning attitude even though you know you may not be as talented as the next guy if you can start thinking you know like a winner you know i think there was about 12 kids in my team when i came to college at uab probably they all thought a hell of a lot more confidently than I did when I arrived. Um, you know, and I, three years later, I was the number one player in college golf. You know, I'd learned a lot about how to start thinking like a winner. Um, you know, it changed my life. Simple as it was the biggest moment in my career was when I was at University uh, at Queens in Belfast uh, in Northern Ireland. I was on a, a Master's of Engineering, you know, really, really amazing educational course you know i was very academic you know i was you know second or third probably you know best grades in my high school when i left um following the path that i felt like i should follow get your degree and then maybe you can go off and try to be a pro golfer when you're done with that you know the phone rang you know do you want to come and you know the, the uab men's golf coach um do you want to come and play golf for our program and i was like yes it's exactly what i want to do you did know, you know I, where that was i did i you know you know, I'd, I'd probably had to pull the map out and find out where Birmingham, Alabama was. I mean, I always joke with the guys that, you know, I wouldn't have known the difference between Alaska and Florida. It's not miles away from the truth. I didn't know what D1, D1 golf was compared to junior college golf. Right. I had no idea. Right. I, I had just no clue. Um, you know, I got lucky. I got a call from a, from a D1 school in a southern state with great facilities and a good schedule and a, you know, a guy who was, you know, a coach who was influential enough to get us to, to play against some of the best teams. You know, like I say, it was a moment in my life. I left, I left a better education behind me and came to a potentially not as good an education, but an opportunity to play golf. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I probably broke my mom's heart the day I called her my third year of college and told her that I wasn't going to graduate, you know, because my, None of my credits had transferred from my original year at college, and I was just like, on a th- I only had three years eligibility. NCAA took a year away because I'd played in some drunken varsity team event, you know, my year at college in Ireland. So I only had three years eligibility. I wasn't going to graduate. My golf was going in the right direction. I was going to, I was going to go all in. Basically, my third year of college in the states, and you know, I. I didn't attend any classes that year. Well, I went and registered, said, hey, my GPA was in good shape. I was able to take Fs across the board, and I pretty much became a semi-professional golfer that year. 
Um, you know, my coach didn't like it. And no. Probably didn't tell much about it, to be honest with you. I had to make the call to my, my folks. You know, I, I made that call first. I said, hey, guys, this is what I want to do. I'm going to leave my education on the back burner, and I'm going to try and play golf. Uh, and if it all fails, I'll get the books back out, and I'll go back to school. And, you know, things went well. I was the best player in college that year. I wasn't the best academic in college that year. But, um, you know, I turned pro right out of there, and, you know, I won – Two months later in the European surf, so it was it was a successful story in the end, but um, you know I took a risk and, oh, yeah. and had to make a decision, and uh, you know thankfully it worked out. It takes some balls. Like, yeah. it's easy to look back in hindsight with the career you've had, but you, at that time, it's it, first of all it's amazing how many life, how big of an effect like decisions you make in your late teens, sure. early twenties have on your entire life. Yeah, you know I remember making that call to my mom, and she was heartbroken you know none of my two brothers went to university i was i was her shot at her dream which was to be at a graduation ceremony and watch one of her kids graduate university you know and i broke her heart mm. thankfully i got given a honorary doctorate about 15 years later from <laughs> from from a university in, in northern ireland and, and she got to come to graduation day even though it was kind of a fake one but um you know she got to live that dream thank god hmm. so where did you play golf as a kid how did, how did, how did you, what did you compete in? What did you have to pay to play? Mm -hmm. Where, what was the com competitive nature like? In yeah. Um, so you grew up in Port Rush, right? So Port Rush. So, the, so they have the two clubs in Port Rush. They have the Royal Port Rush Golf Club, and then they have the Rathmore Club, which is the artisan's club or the working man's class, you know, working class man's uh, club, you know. So I, I grew up in Rathmore, which was my, where my dad was playing. Um, you know, it was the, you know, it was much cheaper to play there. Um, they're right next door to each they're other. They're right next door to each other, but Rob Porosh owns all the land. Rathmore just basically owns the facilities that, it, that you know, that the, the clubhouse itself. They don't even own the land that it sits on. You know, it, they rent that from Portrush, and they really kind of have their hands tied, and they do what they're told. But thankfully, they have a great membership there of good guys with a great little kind of junior program going on. And, you know, when my little brother was 10, we were able to join the club full. I used to play the little par three course there, which was a great little nine hole par mm -hmm. three. And we, I think we played there about, you know, eight rounds a day in the summer, myself, my little brother. And my little brother was just really talented little player. Um, great, great ability, great swing. You know, if you just stood us side by side when we were in our early teens and said one of these kids will win the U.S. Open, I don't think many people would have picked me because my little brother, he had a great move. He was mm -hmm. a natural ability kind of had it all but just didn't really have the drive didn't have the desire to get out there get on the road and compete he didn't like competing you know but uh, and I did and I wanted to get better and um, we had a great little junior program bunch of kids you know and, and both both clubs came together in the summertime the Royal Port Rush kids and the Rathmore kids and we all got together and you know there's some kids who were really good um, so um, a rivalry there between the, the kids a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there was yeah. probably a little bit of the the haves and haves not. Maybe that yeah. was probably when I started to realize that there were the haves and have nots. Um, when I when I became good enough, probably at fourteen, fifteen years old, you know, the the big club, the Royal Port Rush Club, kind of came knocking, saying, "Hey, maybe maybe you should come play for us." You know, <laughs> I remember a guy said to me, he said to me that I would never achieve anything anything in the game of golf if I didn't have a club like Royal Port Rush behind me. You know, uh, my dad sort of viciously would have probably, probably th would have thrown me out of the house if, if I'd have uh, jumped, you know, jumped off the Rathmore ship and, and you know, asconded to the big club because <laughs> it just wasn't 
like going to the Yankees in baseball. Yeah, yeah. it just mm-hmm. wasn't in his DNA. You know, he wanted, he was proud of the club, and and he was proud of what I was hopefully going to achieve for the club. And we stayed, and we decided to, you know, to just kind of roll the dice and and represent the smaller club and, and just keep going. And you know, obviously, I was able to kind of put them on the map a little bit and 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 play some good golf and bring the U.S. Open Trophy back to Rathmore Golf Club in 2010. And it was just one of those. It was one of those times in my life, you know, you'll never achieve anything in the game if you don't have a name like Royal Rush behind you. It was like, whoa, that's that's a big statement. Bold claim. You know, and, you know, obviously knowing, you know, 10 years later, I realized quickly that it wasn't it wasn't where you were from or who you are. It was about getting the ball in the hole and, and the rest would take care of itself. But, um, you know, my upbringing, it, it was great, you know, from a golf point of view. The accessibility, the the the, the kids we had, the kids that I looked up to, you know, I was always very, you know, we had the North of Ireland Championship, which was a big amateur event that was played in Portrush every year. So I went from being ball spotter there when I was like 12 to, to sign boy carrying, you know, for for the big events on the week. You know, the British amateur came there in like 93 or 92. I can't remember which year that was. I signed Boyd for like the semi in the final match. I watched these guys going, you know, these are the guys I want to be like. And, and, you know, I never had any exposure to the pro game at all. I... I I'd never been to a professional golf tournament in my life, pretty much, I think, until I played my first ever PGA Tour event um, as an invite in, like, 2001. That was the first pro event I'd ever attended, let alone I was playing in the thing. But, you know, I was always very good at picking guys two, three years ahead of me that was like, you know, I want I want that Irish international bag. I want, I want to be like those guys. I want to wear the green blazer and have the green bag and play for Ireland. And got there and then you know i want to be at the top of the amateur game I want to play college golf you know i remember seeing the college golf bag for the first time in my life i, I thought it was uh, saddlebrook i can't even remember it was a ping it was a ping hoofer or a ping old ping stand bag with the logo up the side i'm like what is that that's cool <laughs> I, I, I didn't even know what it was i didn't know how to get there but yeah, I knew I wanted to play college golf right there and then. I was like, man, I, that's what I want to do. And, you know, like I say, the college thing was, was the best thing ever happened to me. And, you know, I, I to this day, you know, any kids that I ever meet in Britain and Ireland that want to make it, I'm like, you know, you've you got to get yourself to the U.S. you got to, uh, unless you're Rory McIlroy, I mean, you know, but they don't come along very often. Right. You know, it's it's such a it's such a a gap to bridge that kind of 18 to 22-year-old because, you, you know, you're, you're not a boy anymore. And you've got a, you, but you're not a man either, um, you know. And I think the college program is is so strong. It gives these kids an opportunity to grow up, compete, get better, and and still obviously maintain some element of education as well. Growing up in Port Rush, does it blow your mind, or could you have ever ever pictured the Open Championship coming to Port Rush in in '19? Yeah, I mean that's <clears throat> that 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 was a dream. You know, it was kind of you know I walk in my club. Um, a guy called Fred Daly, who who was the other major champion from that part of the world, you know, I walked past his picture probably ten thousand times of him holding the Claret Jug, and you know, we all heard the the, the stories about the the fifty one Open at Port Rush, and yeah, I mean, to to picture an Open Championship back in Port Rush was probably a boyhood dream. It was probably an unachievable dream. I didn't think I'd ever be playing an Open Championship. Never mind one coming to Port Rush and. You know, obviously, a big part of you know why I'm trying to remotivate myself is is 2019. You know, the Open will be back at Pebble. 
uh, I said the Open, the U.S. Open. <laughs> we we have that <laughs> joke. That. We have that joke among my boys. You know, the British and Irish boys. You know, the Open is obviously the British Open, but uh, I like to joke that the Open's the U.S. Open. You know, <laughs> so, but uh, you know, the U.S. Open's back at Pebble, and then you know, six weeks later, the Open's going to be at Port Rush, and it's going to be a special summer. If I continue playing the way I'm playing, I ain't going to be playing any of the two of them. No, I'll, I'll be exempt for the Open, uh, the U.S. Open, say. but I won't be exempt for for Port Rush. But you know, big kind of mini goal i suppose is to make sure that come the start of 19 i'm in the, the the you know world ranking and the state of mind where i need to be to yeah you know to win the open at port rush that would be that would be something a little special but uh you know i'll be happy just to be there and playing and, and be competitive just being there this summer you kind of you get a sense of the excitement level too for the town for the area yeah. and, you know just the, the irish open being at port stewart just down the road yeah. that was a really cool yeah, it, stimu- uh, it stimulated the economy yeah the, it's you big know, for the area financially you can feel it you can feel the buzz back you know after a wait things really slow down up in that area big time i could feel it you know you, it's been stagnant up there for about seven or eight years and then all of a sudden, bang! You know we're we're, we're good to go again. The, it's the, tough to get a seat in Harbor Bar. These yeah, days. the Harbor Bars. That's that's the spot. Yeah. you know that, that's that's my hangout. You know, I always think that, you know, I don't I don't miss Port Rush much. I don't miss home. You know, I, I love my life in Florida, um, you know, with my kids. But you know, I always think about forty eight hours in Port Rush is about all I ever need. You know, I, I like get Vegas. A, I, I yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect for me. You know, I, I get a game at Rathmore with my boys. Uh, my my brothers and my dad, uh, a couple of pints in the club there. We get I get a game at Port Rush, um, you know, dinner in the wine bar down there at the harbor, and, and a few pints in the harbor bar. And I've pretty much ticked all the boxes. Yeah. You know, visit my family, see my aunties and uncles and cousins, and just kind of see people. And and I'm ready to get out of there. That's yeah. you know, 48 hours, like you say, Vegas. Um, hmm. You know, I've got like a 48 hour checklist, and that's really that's really all I need when I go home. What do you have? You gotten a chance to play the new holes at Port Rush? I haven't played them. I, I, I walked them. No, hold on. Did I play them? Yeah, I, I saw you up there. Yeah, I did play them. Event. I played them. I actually played them with my little brother when I was home this summer okay. for at Port Stewart. We slipped out there sort of one Monday afternoon, and, and, I, and I played them. They're excellent. Great. Uh, I think the changes there at Port Rush are, are, are really, really great. I think a few of the greens are maybe a little funky. Um, you know, Port Rush's greens are typically quite flat. Um, you know, some of the new architecture – there's about three or four, obviously the two new holes and they've redone the second green and the old eighth green. And in my opinion, they're a little overdone. They're a little tricked up. The green surfaces themselves, but the two new holes, tee to green are amazing. Uh, and I that think stretch that, from, yeah, I yeah, mean, three is good, a good hole, but four through yeah, like four, eight now. four, five, six into the new seventh and eighth. They took the best piece of land off the valley course where I grew up. Uh, you know, it was the coolest piece of land, and you know they've done a really nice job yeah. there. It's exciting. It's exciting stuff. All right, we're going to let you out of here shortly. Um, I always like to, to to ask players that have had lengthy careers like you like yours. First, what are you most proud of? I'm going to not let you answer 2010 U.S. Open. So if that is number one, we got to go for. You know, if somebody yeah. asks, what are you most proud of in your career? What's your answer? That's an easy one. I mean, because, you know, people are always shocked when I say that the most special moments in my career have been my four Ryder Cups by far. The, you know, the U.S. Open is such a personal achievement, but it the way I felt at the U.S. Open it doesn't compare to how I feel at the Ryder Cup. Um, you know, I think that team environment, playing for each other, you know, win, lose, or draw – 2008 when we lost was a special week it was my rookie rider cup i loved every second of it 
you know, it really kind of felt like I had arrived on the world stage and that I felt like, you know, I played well enough on the biggest stage to me. I didn't think there was a, you know, I still don't think to this day as a European golfer that, you know, we can play on a bigger stage emotionally than you can play at the Ryder Cup. And to have acquitted myself the way I did that year, I felt like I pulled a huge amount of confidence and uh, and belief in myself in that in my rookie Ryder Cup year, even though we lost, um, you know, 2010 to play the last match. I played with Rory in the you know in the foursomes and better balls. We had a great week. Won that last match, which was, you know, you know, most fun I've ever had in a golf hmm. course with my clothes on. I think I was quoted in saying that something along those lines. Um, you know, 2012. Well, in a weird way, 2012 was probably emotionally a letdown for me. The miracle at Medina, I got beat by Zach Johnson in the singles. It's the only singles I've lost in a Ryder Cup, and it was weird. You know, it was a weird, anticlimactical feeling for me. I was because you know when you lose your singles, you're personally disappointed. Right. It's, you know, it's the only time you're on the golf course by yourself that week, and you just don't. You feel like you don't do your job. Even though, you know, I play a gritty guy like Zach Johnson, two-time major champion, the guy's tough to beat. But then, you know, you sit in the sidelines and you watch the boys get the job done and you celebrate like, you know, like, like it was you holding a winning putt. It, it was an amazing, but it, it was a weird, it was a weird Ryder Cup, that one for me. And then Glen Eagles was, was, was special in that it was the first time I felt like a veteran. Of, you know, I was tasked with looking after a rookie, Victor de Busson. You know, I only played three times and won all three matches. Every one of those four experiences has just been something that, you know, I'm unbelievably proud of and unbelievable the experiences and the memories and the emotions. And I remember, yeah, they have just been, they're in a different stratosphere from anything else I've ever done in the game. And, you know, why I'm very motivated to try and play another couple and obviously love the captain one one day, but uh, the Ryder Cup's special. Weren't you quoted at one point saying that you thought the Ryder Cup should go every three years? I don't know. Was I? I don't, I don't know. know. I remember reading that somewhere, and I, I hated it because I wanted. Yeah. I wanted every yeah, yeah. year. Yeah, no, for I really sure. Do. My my only opinion on on things is that I I feel like the Americans should get a year off. Yeah. You know, I feel like back to back Ryder Cup. You know, I feel like the boys are always qualifying. The you know they're Same always ones. in a qualif- qualification mode. Presidents Cup. You know this this recent Presidents Cup. It was just a beat down. Right. I mean, you know, I I can't imagine the international players enjoy that in any shape or form. You know, in front of the New York crowds, just right. getting a beaten. Um, you know, I feel like it takes the edge off a little bit for them when it comes to Ryder Cup year because here we go again, just another team event. Right. Uh, whereas the Europeans, you know, we get that fre- we get that year off and we're just a little bit fresher and more up for it, perhaps that yep. that intangible X factor. You know, it's going to be interesting going into next year, though, because, I mean, you know, obviously Furyk was quoted there a couple of days ago. You know, they've got a chip in their shoulder and, yeah, they haven't won in, in, on European soil since, what, 93 or 95 or whatever it is. And, you know, they've got the hottest young players on the planet. You know, on paper, you know, I think 11 of the world's top 22 players are European. You know, so on paper, we look like massive favorites if the Ryder Cup was going to be played tomorrow. But I think, you know... Not many European players would would deny that it would be you know the Americans are probably got the hottest young players in the world right now and uh, they'd be awfully difficult to beat. But uh, twelve months of it's cooling off, <laughs> just hope a couple of them cool off a little bit. And <laughs> France is going to be a very unique track for us. I think the Europeans are going to have that little course knowledge. It's a funky golf course. Um, you know, can't wait to be there. Obviously, want to be on the team. It's going to be it's going to be a monster Ryder Cup. 
Great. All right, we'll end with this last one. What's the biggest regret you have in your career so far? Whoa. Regret. Yeah, I know. I know it's a tough one, 48 minutes in or whatever yeah. we are. Regret. Um, I, don't, I really don't have a lot of regrets. It's always hard to say because, you know, some regret you might have might have caused something, some butterfly effect down yeah, the road for something for that sure. you don't regret. For sure. What do I regret? You know, my, my boys used to, they used to, I didn't go. I didn't go try and qualify for Torrey Pines. Was it two thousand nine? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. I made. You know, and you think about the butterfly effect. Uh, I skipped qualifying for that U.S. Open that year to focus on trying to get myself onto the Ryder Cup team, and it worked out. You know, I won twice. Uh, sorry, I won the Scottish Open in, in in June or July that year to get myself on the Ryder Cup team. But you know. I got a, you know, I, I didn't give myself an opportunity to play in a major championship that you know is my best major championship, you know, statistically speaking. But no, that's not really a regret. That worked out great. You know, regrets are. I mean, I think I always, you know, I wish I'd have worked harder when I had the opportunity. You know, I think many of my seasons and years, I look back and think that you know I could have worked harder. I, I could have been, I could have been more driven and more motivated and 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 taken it a hell of a lot more seriously than I did. You know, did I, was I relaxed and did I create a, a, an environment for myself to be the best I could be? Maybe that's what I needed. But, you know, I look at, I look at how motivated, how serious, how much of a business this is now for these, for these guys. Like I say, I, you know, the, the West Palm fraternity, when I look at, you know, your Rickies and Justins and, you know, Dustins and Brooks's and these guys that really, to me, well, you know, we are living in the Tiger Woods sort of heightened environment if you like now where guys are super athletic they're super serious about what they're doing and they're taking the game to a new level i look at myself when i was 25 years old i don't think i was that driven i don't mm -hmm. think i was that motivated i don't think i was that serious i don't think i had the know-how to take my game to the next level you know so if i could go back and do it all again i would do it a lot more seriously would i have achieved what i've achieved today Maybe not. Right. Would I have done better? Could have burned Maybe out. Maybe I would have. Who knows? Yeah. Listen, but but that, that's probably my only regret. Yeah. I wish I'd have. I wish I'd have sat back and sucked it all in and worked a lot harder than I did when I had the opportunity. Because now that, now that I feel like my opportunities are now. Careful! Don't say past tense. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to say. Yeah, exactly. My opportunities are now less. I, I have less opportunities in front of me now that, than I did when I, you know, I was 25 sure. years old. I wish I'd have taken it a bit more seriously. All right. Well, this was awesome, man. We'll let you go. This, I kept you for longer than I, no I promised. I but, didn't uh, really give you any gems or any, any diamonds there. But uh, No, this is uh, great, know, man. Good. This is good golf talk. It's it's kind of what we go for. So it was good to finally catch up and uh, hope, hopefully do it again Sorry sometime. Sorry it took so long. And, no, you know, don't, hopefully, don't, you know, I'm, I'm apologizing for uh, taking I'll so I'll be working long. my ass great. off the next few years, so we've something cool to talk about. What about that? Awesome. We'll definitely have to do something in, ahead of 19 uh, Open Championships. I'm pumped for that one. That's the deal. Graham McDowell, thank you for the time, man. Cheers. You got it, bro. That was fun. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different.